You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. If you are already snow weary, buckle up. The south coast is about to get hit again tonight. It's been off and on since mid-morning, but if you think it's bad now, just wait. We have team coverage for you tonight of the heavy snow on the lower mainland and Vancouver Island, as well as the concerns about that Arctic air. And it's been a frustrating few days for drivers, that's for sure. Our Grace Key is live in East Vancouver with more on the challenge on the roads. And Grace, there are questions tonight about why even the main routes have been so bad in some places. Yeah, right behind me here in Highway 1, not too bad right now. Earlier, we did see a convoy of salt trucks hit this area pretty hard all the way down to Burnaby and farther east. But certainly, folks out in parts of the Fraser Valley are getting hit hard with some treacherous road conditions. The Fraser Valley has been a challenge. According to the Transportation Ministry, winds combined with cold, dry temperatures made it difficult to keep material on the road and deal with compact snow. West of Chilliwack, the problems persisted into the morning. It's just a sheet of ice right now. Um, no one's really moving too quick. A lot of cars in the ditches. I was going down the side road following number one eastbound, and they're not going any faster than I am. And it's all packed and it's a mess. In a statement, the ministry writes, because the colder temperatures limited the effectiveness of applying salt, crews transitioned to applying sand in combination with using serrated blades to rake the compacted snow to improve traction. The contractor has also been using de-icing chemicals better suited for the colder temperatures in addition to an increased use of abrasives and the serrated blades. Semi-trucks have also been having a tough time on the roads. This one jackknifed on Highway 1 in Burnaby during the morning rush hour, causing a backup. The BC Trucking Association will be meeting with the Ministry of Transportation on Friday, and one of the topics will be road maintenance. But the condition of the roads is only part of the equation that we have to evaluate. We have to understand how they became that way. Uh, were the maintenance of the roads, was it sufficient? Did the contractor meet their obligations? A convoy of salt trots have been hitting Highway 1. With warmer temperatures, crews will be making several passes as quickly as possible to prepare for the evening commute home. Drivers are scrambling to get winter tires on their cars. The Cal Tire at the Langley Bypass has been busy since the snow first blanketed Metro Vancouver. And with more snow in the forecast, business hasn't let up. It's certainly late in the year for putting on winter tires, but we're, we're ready and we're equipped. We still have tires available and, uh, and we're certainly booking up. So the Ministry of Transportation did put up an update saying that compact stone continues to be a problem in parts of Highway 1 west of Chilliwack and they are going to be reallocating resources where needed. All right, we'll see how it goes. Grace, thank you. All right, let's check in now with Keith Baldry, who's shaken off the musty shackles <laughs> of the legislature and gone outside into the elements tonight in Victoria. Keith, the island's getting yeah. hit first. Is it starting to pile up there yet? It certainly is, Chris. Not very often I have reason to dig out my global toque, but I certainly need it tonight. It's coming down quite heavy. 
about four to five centimeters fell earlier today. Took a break in the afternoon. So not a lot of uh, accidents on the streets, not a lot of carnage or anything like that. A relatively light dusting. The kids had a lot of fun. Our cameraman Jonathan Bartlett drove around, found a number of them, of course, taking to the hills uh, right after school and during recess. So today was an easy day in the snow. It's going to be a different story tomorrow, though. It's snowing heavily right now. It's expected to store, uh, continue to snow overnight into tomorrow. Another five to ten centimeters here in the capital region. That will make tomorrow's commute very interesting and potentially dicey for very many people. Uh, but it's not going to last forever. It'll be gone in a couple of days. But I think tomorrow's going to be quite interesting in terms of community and people basically getting to work and getting around town. One prediction I will make, there will be the proverbial line of tourists who arrive at the legislature lawn tomorrow to take endless pictures of that frozen uh, uh, fountain behind me. There's been a steady stream all day and that'll continue tomorrow. It's very pretty here in front of the ledge, Chris. I have to say, we don't get snow very often. When it does land, it turns a normally beautiful city like Victoria into an even more compelling place. It is a beautiful, iconic photo. Thanks very much, Keith. And Aaron MacArthur is live in Surrey for us tonight with more on the icy cold, which of course raises serious concerns, especially for those who are more vulnerable, Aaron. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. I mean, the cold is an inconvenience for most of us, but for the homeless population, it can be deadly. And we think of homeless population mostly on the downtown east side, but it is region-wide, especially south of the Fraser. Here in Surrey, the city says anyone who is homeless can have a shelter bed tonight. There is plenty of capacity, but the same is not true farther east in the valley. The UGM has set up a mobile mission for the Fraser Valley this year for the first time. Today, it was in mission. Dozens of people accessing services they need to stay alive. We are handing out life-saving gear to keep people warm. A lot of people aren't prepared for this kind of winter. For people who are rough sleeping, that is sleeping outdoors, it, it, makes, uh, it could possibly mean life or death. Uh, keeping dry and keeping out of the wind. Now, to give you an example of just how dire the situation is in the Fraser Valley, a recent study suggests half of the population in Abbotsford that are vulnerable or more at risk are also considered unsheltered. A scary proposition considering the weather we've had and what we're expecting to come in the next 24 hours. Chris, Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur in Surrey. And for more on that cold and snow, meteorologist Christy Gordon is zeroing in on what the next few hours are going to look like for us. Christy. Well, as you saw, snow is coming down all across southern uh, Vancouver Island, and in not too long, it will push into Metro Vancouver. Parts of it could see it as early as 8 p.m. And then overnight, all of those regions will see significant snowfall. So here's how much snow you can expect on the ground by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Southern Vancouver Island, 5 to 15, and Metro Vancouver, likely just 5 to 10. 10. Now, there is a chance that this band of moisture will shift out of the region just in time for the morning commute, but there's some uncertainty of that shift, so I urge you to tune in with Mark Madriga tomorrow morning. At this point, plan for the worst-case scenario and uh, significant snow on the ground, but if it shifts out and the crews are able to get a handle on the roads, it may not be too bad, but we've got more snow on the way for the afternoon hours and wind warnings, with some areas could see gusts up to 100 kilometers an hour so I'll show you which when I come back. All right, we'll check in then. Thanks very much, Christy. And how about this? You can't say West Coasters aren't resourceful. No shovel, no problem for this guy in East Vancouver. A folding chair seems to work just fine as he clears his sidewalk. Did a heck of a job, too. Well done.
In other news tonight, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team needs your help in a suspicious death in Burnaby. Monday morning, RCMP were called to reports of a man found dead on the street in the 6700 block of 4th Street. That man, now identified as 51-year-old Joseph Vincent Morrissey of Vancouver. Investigators say he had injuries consistent with foul play. Anybody who was walking uh, through that area in the early morning hours yesterday morning, Monday morning, uh, if you saw anything suspicious, please contact IHIT immediately. You know, Mr. Morrissey did have some interactions with police. We believe that this is tied somehow to the drug trade. A B.C. man with a long history of drug running has pled guilty in a U.S. courtroom. John Philip Sterling is a legendary pirate busted more than once sailing the West Coast with contraband. Romina Dea has more on his notorious reputation and how much time he's looking at in a U.S. prison. 65-year-old John Philip Sterling entered a plea Monday in a U.S. court. I wish to plead guilty because, in fact, I am guilty. The B.C. senior has struck a plea deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Portland, Oregon. Sterling pleading guilty to one count of possession with intent to distribute methamphetamine. The U.S. Coast Guard raided the Mandalay last April. The boat stopped more than 300 kilometers off the coast of Oregon. Sterling arrested on board after American authorities uncovered 28 jugs of liquid meth. An infamous reputation on the high seas dating back to the 90s. A quarter of a billion dollars of cocaine discovered on Sterling's boat in 2001. But the captain and his crew never charged. Sterling arrested again off Vancouver Island in 2006 when police discover over $6 million of marijuana on his fishing boat. Charges are laid but thrown out. The B.C. skipper ultimately caught with a boat full of cocaine near Colombia in 2011, landing him in a U.S. jail. He was released in 2018, but arrested again last year. U.S. prosecutors will be seeking a sentence of just over seven years in prison. As part of the plea deal, Sterling has agreed to voluntarily forfeit any property used to commit the crime, including his sailboat. Sterling will be sentenced in Portland on April 20th. Romina Dea, Global News. A Chilliwack man is facing more than three dozen charges in connection with alleged theft and fraud targeting lower mainland seniors. 52-year-old Donald Robert Quinnell was arrested by Vancouver police back in September on an unrelated warrant. Today, North Vancouver RCMP and West Van police announced 39 charges have been approved against Quinnell. Police say he would offer to help unsuspecting victims gain their trust and then work his way into their homes and steal their wallets purses and other valuables. An investigation has been ordered into the detention and handcuffing of an indigenous man and his 12-year-old granddaughter at a Bank of Montreal in Vancouver. They were eventually released with no charges and received apologies from both the bank and Vancouver police. But as Nadia Stewart reports, the community is calling for change. I feel so badly for what happened to them. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart speaking publicly on an incident now prompting a review by the city's police board. BMO and Vancouver police officers under fire and both apologizing. After Maxwell Johnson, an indigenous man from Bella Bella, 
was handcuffed along with his 12-year-old daughter at this BMO branch on Burrard. This policy review has to do that. It has to make things better if there are changes made. The mayor says the review will examine which VBD policies might have played a role in this incident and whether changes should be made. This as the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner announced it's launching an independent investigation led by Delta Police. We'll be thoroughly assessing the circumstances leading up to the detention and arrest of uh, the Indigenous man and his 12-year granddaughter, in addition to using restraining devices such as handcuffs. If it is found that the officer committed misconduct, there are a range of sanctions available under the Police Act. Those sanctions include everything from retraining to dismissal. Mayor Stewart says he has not been in contact with BMO. If they hadn't made that call, we wouldn't be standing here today. They put the blame on the bank, but also you know, the police system and justice system as a whole has to also take accountability how they treat our people. At a rally Tuesday evening, community members continue their calls for change. They say this never should have happened and would not have had there been more questions asked and fewer assumptions made. Johnson's cousin, Dorothy Brown, says what happened to her family is inexcusable. Whether people want to hear it or not, this is racial profiling. I mean, they can apologize till they're blue in the face. You know, the damage has been done. And the world is going to hear that this has got to stop. It's not clear how long the police board's review will take, but the OPCC's investigation will take six months. Now to get to our Global News. Well, despite temperatures of minus 38, protesters engaged in a standoff over a pipeline project near Smithers are vowing to keep up their blockade. As RCMP remain poised to move in, Sarah McDonald reports on the complicating factors in this ordeal and why there's no clear resolution. It is clear nobody is getting through this checkpoint to a highly polarized parcel of Indigenous land. Without the knowledge and approval of RCMP, now meticulously monitoring the only road in. As dozens of felled trees continue to keep workers building a natural gas pipeline out. We have them putting in a 60-foot bridge and it's going right over a creek and it's also going over a cultural trail. The $6.6 billion pipeline, part of a $40 billion project, spanning hundreds of kilometers of unceded land, promising jobs and funding to indigenous communities province-wide, but facing fierce opposition from those fighting it within Wet'suwet'en Nation. 14 people leaving in handcuffs last year when RCMP enforced a recently extended injunction, mandating the removal of any obstructions to construction a court order that still stands. All of the permits are in place for this project to proceed. It will be proceeding. And could now be enforced at any time. This checkpoint ensuring RCMP know who they may be encountering if and when that happens, with only specific people, including Indigenous leaders, politicians and journalists, allowed on this side of it. We're on guard here, just ready for any, of, any possibility, really. So every scenario goes through our minds. Already here, supporters of the nation's hereditary chiefs, at odds with its elected ones who support the pipeline alongside the provincial and federal governments. The system was designed basically to take the power away from the people and the hereditary system is made to hold up the people. Even so, the Canadian courts are siding with the energy giant, looking to lawfully get shovels back in the ground. I came here um, to bear witness to whatever would happen or might happen. And that remains anyone's guess, with RCMP poised and prepared to move in on those digging in. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
Right now, though, six months after vandals severed the main cable on the Sea to Sky gondola, causing millions of dollars in damage and putting the attraction out of service, it's set to reopen. Catherine Urquhart has more on when you can catch a ride and the new safety measure in place to ensure it never happens again. There's a new 4.4 kilometer long main haul rope from Switzerland and 30 new cars are lined up ready to be installed. The Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish due to reopen after a shocking case of vandalism last summer. Really happy to be able to announce today that we're very close. Valentine's Day, February 14th, we'll be able to reopen with full operations. Back on August 10th, someone severed the main hall cable, sending most of the cars crashing to the ground. No one was hurt, but damage was in the millions. I'm disappointed, but, uh, you know, and, and mildly horrified, but humans do a lot worse things. Police continue to investigate the brazen criminal act, but no one has been arrested. Sea to Sky Gondola is revealing limited information about its new security measures, but claims they're using the latest high-tech to ensure everyone's safety. Yes, of course, there's camera infrastructure. There are uh, levels of technology that have only been recently been released to the retail marketplace that allow us to detect people in and about the line with incredible accuracy from extraordinary distances. For this community, the gondola's reopening can't happen soon enough. Most of the travel, we feel, was probably booked before the incident, so we still saw a pretty strong August, um, but we definitely saw a dip in our November and December occupancy. In an effort to bring back customers, tickets will be half-priced during Family Day long weekend. Technical Safety BC is expected to do a final safety inspection and certification of the gondola in the next few weeks. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Some tense moments for passengers aboard a WestJet flight from Calgary to Victoria today. Just moments before landing, the pilot was forced to pull up when the plane hit a flock of birds, damaging the nose and other parts of the aircraft. It, it, a lot went through my head, but it, it, like we kind of talked after the plane, we really thought it was the end. And uh, I'm a very lucky man. I was saying earlier that my wife had a liver transplant two years ago and made it through, and she's doing so great. And I'm going, this is how I'm going to go. So it's, uh, I just, I was so mad um, because I really didn't think we were going to make it. It was, it was pretty harrowing. There was a flash of lights and this big, you know, bang, bang, and, and, uh, and then we were kind of climbing again, and um, there was a terrible grinding noise at the back, so it sounded like the engines certainly weren't moving smoothly, but uh, I figured most explosions and sound had come from the left side, so I thought we, at least we have one engine left, but we're now we're over the water again, and I thought, well, if, this is, if we're going to go down, this is going to be a pretty cold, pretty cold morning. The pilots made a decision to divert to Vancouver due to the availability of maintenance resources there. Thankfully, the flight landed normally, and the aircraft has subsequently been removed from service for safety inspections. Well, now that Prince Harry and wife Meghan's move to Canada is going to be a done deal, speculation as to exactly where they'll end up is still at a fever pitch. Pictures of her getting on a seaplane in Victoria are circulating online today. And as Robin Gill reports, there are still questions about immigration and the law. There's much ado about where Meghan and Harry shall settle in Canada. Will it be Victoria, where Meghan has been holed up since she and hubby blindsided the Queen? I feel like Victoria is like the retirement capital 
of Canada, but if they came, it might make it more attractive. Or Toronto, where the pair has friends. Canada's a great decision, better than the U.S. Or Sussex, New Brunswick, where this local paper suggests it's apropos the Sussexes settle in their midst. Whatever the case, the royals say they plan to split their time between Canada and the U.K. Canada's door is wide open. The couple can enter at any Canadian airport or land border and get a wave through. That entitles them to six months. The royals claim they want to be financially independent. Yet Harry, a trust fund baby, inherited millions from his mother and great-grandmother. So whatever will they do? There is a golden opportunity here um, to, to have them as, as these sort of diplomats the supreme diplomats for the Commonwealth, as headquartered in Canada instead of over in the United Kingdom. Well, BC's Premier thinks the Royals should look for work in his fair province. I'm sure I could find something for Harry to do. And the film industry is booming in British Columbia, so I'm sure Megan could get on with uh, one of the great, maybe Riverdale, who knows. Surely that's an immigration issue. Megan seems to qualify under the artistic cultural component of the self-employed program. There have been spoofs on perhaps appointing Harry to Governor General, since he's already got an in at Buckingham Palace. I like him as a human being. I think he's, you know, had challenges along the way, and it would be a nice connection. Not that Harry wouldn't be a good Governor General, but I think we have lots of Canadians to choose from. Whatever they do and wherever they settle, Harry and Meghan are sure to be talk of the town. Robin Gill, Global News, Vancouver. And if the Royals do happen to choose Vancouver Island, there's another sign tonight that the locals will have their backs when it comes to protecting their privacy. The owner of a boat charter company on Vancouver Island says he said no to a recent booking when he realized it was tabloid reporters looking for a water view of Meghan and Harry. This is my uh, new water taxi business uh, called Bay to Bay Charters. Captain Miles Arsenault says the clients initially told him they were making a movie. But when the group arrived, he realized they were foreign journalists looking for a peek at the Sussex's waterfront property in North Saanich. Arsenault says he turned them down, even though his new business could have used the cash. Hard to turn down work, especially when you're starting a new business. But uh, th this one was an easy choice to uh, turn down. And, and that maybe a good would come from it. And maybe uh, Harry Macon will call me and say, hey, well, let's go for a boat ride. Arsenault says he wanted to give the royals the privacy they were looking for. Straight ahead, the, uh, oh sorry, we just added this because it just came in a couple of minutes ago. It appears that Meghan Markle did come out of hiding for a very important cause. She did. The downtown Eastside Women's Center just posted this photograph on their Facebook page saying the Duchess of Sussex visited them today to discuss issues affecting women in the community. No other details have been released at this point, but as you can see, they're all smiles and her visit was clearly appreciated. No doubt. Nearly 30 students and adults were injured today when a jet flew over their school playground while dumping fuel. The Delta flight declared an emergency shortly after takeoff from LAX and then dumped fuel as it returned to the airport. 17 children and 9 adults sustained minor skin injuries. The plane ended up landing safely. Well, Monday's comments by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau that linked the shooting down of a Ukrainian jet to growing tensions in the Middle East 
got the attention of Washington, D.C. In that interview with Global National's Donna Friesen, Trudeau said if there had been no escalation in tensions, the 57 Canadians who died would be home with their families. Today, the top Republican in the House of Representatives said Iran and not the U.S. is to blame. The reason why anything escalated, because Iran went and bombed tankers. Iran shot down a U.S. drone. Iran did something much different, killed a U.S. citizen. Iran went and attacked our embassy. So yes, I agree that Iran is escalating things in the Middle East. The Iranian government now says the people responsible for the downing of the jet have been arrested, but continues to blame the U.S. for the events that led up to it. New unverified video seems to confirm U.S. intelligence reports that two missiles were launched at the plane, both of them striking their target. Crystal Gumansingh reports on the investigation and important items still missing after the crash. We are learning more about that Ukrainian Airlines plane that was shot down over Tehran. According to the director of Kiev's Forensic Research Institute, the bottom of the plane is still missing and so are the majority of the passenger seats. In an interview provided to Global News from the Ukrainian government, he says that when they got to the site, they in fact didn't find many parts of the plane because they were covered under dirt on the ground. Now, in addition to some of those details, we are also learning that those investigators found some evidence that the plane had been shot down on the 10th. They went to the Iranian officials who were watching them work at the crash site and requested to come back the next day explaining what they found. When they returned on the Saturday, Iran had went public with the fact that the plane was shot down. So we are learning more about that plane crash. As well, we are getting some new details from how people here in Ukraine are reacting to the fact that charges have been laid. Now, there's not a lot of information, but some politicians are saying that it shows a willingness on Iran's part to move forward quickly. However, they do want more information as far as who these people are, how many have been charged, and exactly what role did they play in shooting down that plane and taking 176 lives. Crystal Gamansen, Global News, Kiev. Just a few weeks after Venice was hit by flooding, low tides have now left its famous canals at startlingly low levels. Many of the city's iconic gondolas and other boats are stuck at the dock after water levels dropped dramatically. Changes in tides aren't new to Venice, but after last November's record flooding and more floods last month, The latest drop in water levels has caught a lot of people by surprise. And talk about determined newlyweds. This couple's wedding pictures are going viral. After they took their vows in front of the giant billowing cloud of ash from the Ta'al volcano in the Philippines. The photographer says the ground started rumbling before the ceremony and ash started to fall just as it ended. Luckily, the reception was undercover And the couple will have one of the most epic wedding albums ever. Spectacular. Mm -hmm. All right, in Health Matters tonight, a new study by Vancouver St. Paul's Hospital has some troubling news about our knowledge of health emergencies. Research shows that while the tools to save someone suffering from a heart attack or a drug overdose are more widely available than ever, the majority of people simply don't know when to use them. 
Emergency departments can't save someone suffering a cardiac arrest if they don't arrive alive. That requires intervention from the public. Our latest numbers indicate about 50% of people in a public location get CPR, which is wonderful, but we can do better. By that, St. Paul's emergency physician, Dr. David Barbic, means not just teaching more people how to do CPR or use a defibrillator. We postulated that people probably wouldn't even be able to recognize these emergencies if they happened. So they launched a study and went out into the community armed with videos that showed reenactments of both cardiac arrests and opioid overdoses. And we found that only about one in 10 people can recognize cardiac arrests from a standardized video. And only about one in three can recognize an opioid overdose. Clearly, we need to do better, starting right now with cardiac arrest, which is different from a heart attack. It's when the heart's rhythm deteriorates into a sort of rapid quivering and ceases to pump blood through the body. So very often people will just sort of drop to the floor. And if you yell at them and try and wake them up, they don't, they don't respond. They might sort of take some agonal, we call them agonal respirations, where and then they're not breathing. That is when you call 911, start CPR, and if there's an automated external defibrillator nearby, use it. In the case of an opioid overdose... If you see someone who's not breathing well, who's a little bit bluish in the lips, and they're sort of very lethargic and unresponsive, that is probably an opioid overdose. Again, call 911, give breaths, and if you have a naloxone kit, use it. It's not that hard, and for your effort, you just might get to save a life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A Surrey senior is helping the homeless during this cold snap and all through the year with handmade toques. You can tell by watching June Young at work that she's an expert at crocheting. Is she crocheting? She is crocheting. She made about 200 hats last year and says she intends to make as many this year. She crochets while she watches TV and says she's made so many toques she doesn't even have to look at her hands anymore. It's a gesture. Um, it's... I hope it shows that someone cares. Um, if we can't find them a place to stay overnight, at least they've got a, a hat on their head to keep them a little bit warm. June has been a volunteer with the Surrey RCMP for 15 years, and officers hand out her toques while they're on patrol. She buys most of her wool, but she's also received donations from people who hear about her personal campaign. Very cool. And how about this? A prominent Canadian is not slowing down on his 86th birthday indoor skydiving. The honorable way to celebrate. There's a clue <laughs> coming up after the forecast. <laughs> All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon uh, definitely working hard this week. Uh, how's it looking out there, Christy? I'm thinking about my commute home. <laughs> commute home won't be too bad, so if you get out of here right at 7 o'clock, you should be okay. Uh, but we do have snow and wind warnings in place for the south coast. I'll show you that in a second first. So look at these numbers. Minus 48.8 degrees in Punsey Mountain, which is in the Caribou region. That's incredible. That's the air temperature, not the wind chill, by the way. So record lows uh, last night, potentially again tonight. Agassiz, the one area, broken a record across the south coast, but generally we're not record-breaking here across the south coast. These are your lows overnight with wind chills right down and through the central interior down to minus 50. You can expect this extreme cold for the next 24 hours. It's not until the weekend that you'll see a 
a great improvement, although it'll be a transition towards then. Meanwhile, the South Coast, yes, we're talking about snow. This was the Sunshine Coast today, and we are going to see that wave push in overnight. Maybe a lull in the action during the commute to work tomorrow morning. Again, tune in with Mark Madriga, but for the most part, assume the worst with significant snow on the ground, and then more on the way for the afternoon hours. And in the afternoon hours, there may be a few areas that will see it transition to very wet snow or rain as temperatures warm up. We could be at about one degree. But for the most part, again, we're assuming the worst for the commute home. So here's how much. Vancouver Island, that first wave, 5 to 15. Metro Vancouver, 5 to 10. And then the other wave pushing in, bringing significant amounts for Vancouver Island, but far less for Metro Vancouver, maybe another 5 centimeters plus, and then that would be about it. But it's the winds tomorrow night that we're really concerned about. We could see some gusts in the 90 to 100 kilometer an hour range, and that includes for Howe Sound and parts of Vancouver Island. Power outages, delays in ferries, absolutely a concern. Snow in through the south, but it's mainly for the Kootenai area. 10 centimeters of snow for you, but otherwise light amounts for the rest of southern regions and cold and clear across the north. So again, snowfall tomorrow. Assume both your commute to and home from New York will be tough. We gradually warm as we head into the weekend with finally rain on the way if you're not liking the snow. I'm, I would be sad to see it look, go, though. <laughs> Wow, amazing. Okay, we've got lots to deal with over the next little while. Thanks, Christy. It's not quite as spectacular as jumping out of a plane, but it's still quite an accomplishment. Take a look. That is former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien taking on indoor skydiving in Laval, Quebec. The occasion, his 86th birthday. The pictures posted by his former communications director also show him posing with his great-grandson, dressed appropriately as Superman and blowing out the candles on his birthday cake. I can't believe he's 86. And a great grandson. Oh, right? Wow. Still remember the old Schwinnigan handshake. Remember that? <laughs> Many exactly, years ago. Yeah. All right. Take it away. I will. Thank you very much. Uh, and I appreciate the hand gestures as well. <laughs> Try to be very Vanna. I know Vancouverites are not happy with below zero weather. It's killing the palm trees. It's chasing away the parrots. But fans going to the Jets-Canucks game tonight in Winnipeg had to get there through minus 21. And it's not just the air that's cold in Winnipeg. The Jets have been as well. They have lost six straight at home. But the Canucks are the kind of medicine the Jets want because Vancouver has lost eight straight in Winnipeg. Uh, at least the, the piece of glass they're looking hmm. for is easy is to find. Is that taken tonight? Right. I mean, the cars looked like they were in cold weather, but you never know. It was taken earlier in the year. Whatever the case, this is goal number one. Kyle Connor, and then another Connor. Connor Hellebuck will make a save here on JT Miller, who's given the breakaway pass by Elias Pettersson, but can't beat the Jets' netminder. And then the Jets get a breakaway. Jack Roslovich, who doesn't score very often, but he scores here. See what I mean by the Canucks in Winnipeg? 2-0 for the Jets. And then a power play. And watch Blake Wheeler. He has a pretty hard shot, except on this one. Watch how slow this is. In. Sometimes NHL goalies are fooled by pucks going that slow. Of course, Kyle Connors right in front of him as well. 3-0 going to the third period. Vancouver Giants defenseman Bowen Byram is back in Vancouver from the World Junior Tournament, where he got a gold medal. 
which he will cherish forever. What he doesn't have yet, though, is his hockey equipment, which somehow didn't make it back home like he did. Good thing he had his gold medal on the plane. But being part of a World Junior Hockey Championship can really ease the stress of a bit of lost luggage. Did it have everything that exceed your expectations? Yeah, I think so. Um, growing up watching that tournament, you definitely um, have high expectations for it, and it definitely um, fulfilled and exceeded expectations for me. Anyways, um, it was it was the best month of my life. Obviously, capped off with a huge win, so it's pretty hard to beat. Drops that back to Byram. Bowen Byram had a front row seat to Team Canada's memorable ride at the World Juniors. And that's the thing about Canada's golden victory. It was one wild ride with Byram and Team Canada suffering physical and emotional pain. Early on, they lost their most skilled right player there. when Alex Lafreniere went right down with a knee injury. And Canada absorbed its most path. lopsided defeat ever at the World Juniors Alexandra when Russia the shut them out 6 nothing. I think... Um, the turning point was, was the Russian game when we lost 6 nothing. Uh, everyone kind of just took a, took a check and looked themselves in the mirror and realized that we all had to be better. And then after that, I think we played um, however many games that was, four or five really good games in a row. So uh, definitely something to be proud of. Byram almost didn't make it to the gold medal game. He was forced to watch Canada's semi-final win over Finland in his hotel room after picking up a nasty stomach virus that kicked the living you-know-what out of him for a solid eight hours. He'll gladly forget that experience, but not skating alongside his Canadian teammates, including the kid who's the consensus number one pick in this year's NHL entry draft. He's pretty unreal. I mean, I've played with him at the U17s, a couple U18 tournaments now, and obviously at the World Juniors. So um, I've been around him a long time. I've seen him develop as a player, and he's pretty special. Uh, he does everything. He, he's physical. He makes plays. He can shoot the puck. So he's definitely an exciting player to watch. Because it happens so quickly, you don't really realize what's going on. But um, I, I know I'm going to be uh, be thinking about that that win for a long time, and it's going to be something that's uh, pretty special to me forever. So, another World Series winning manager is out of a job because of the cheating scandal that's engulfed the Houston Astros. Yesterday it was AJ Hinch, the Astros manager. Today it's Boston Red Sox manager Alex Cora. He was let go by the Red Sox. They say it was a mutual thing, but. I think he was given a bit of a push. Uh, he won the World Series with Boston in 2018, but before that he worked with Houston as a bench coach. And he was named as one of the people deeply involved in stealing signals from other teams when he was with the Astros. Here's your snow report for this evening. Cold right across the province. Whistler Blackcomb at minus 17 at the top today. Grouse minus 12 and Cypress minus 11. The good news is they did pick up some snow. Grouse 4, 11 for Cypress. Sasquatch 6. Manny Park also picked up 6. Revelstoke 3. Fernie the winner today at 21. Kicking Horse 7. Light amounts of snow in through the Okanagan region. Big White picked up 3. Silver Star, Sun Peaks and Apex picked up 1. Mount Washington, 2 centimeters of fresh snow. Whitewater also picked up too, although nothing new today for Red Mountain and Powder King. Coming up on ET Canada, we go inside Vanity Fair's photo shoot for their Hollywood issue. Plus, we have movie previews of Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow and Vin Diesel's Bloodshot. It's all coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thank you, Cheryl. 
A New Brunswick mechanic who thought he'd seen everything in his more than three decades on the job now has another story to tell. He discovered a stowaway under the hood of a truck. And as Global Shelley Steves reports, that was only part of the story. John Leet thought he'd seen it all come through these bay doors. Being a mechanic and now foreman at this Moncton car dealership for more than 30 years, you would not believe the critters he's found under the hood. We found hamsters, garter snakes, squirrels, chipmunks, mice. But last week was definitely a first, even for him. A customer who had taken this demo truck out as a loner, popped the hood to put in some windshield wash and got a bit of a fright. Tucked in among the heater hoses was a skittish orange tabby staring right back at him. As hard as he was shivering and shaking, when I climbed up and looked in there, I'd say he was pretty scared. Believe it or not, the little stowaway traveled more than 80 kilometers between the homes of two different customers wedged up in that truck engine. Uh, he was jammed in. It's a, it's a cold, scary trip for a cat. You can see the track. While finding the cat alive was a first for John, he has come across it before. But normally... Their nine lives are expired. There you go. Well, Kitty must have been comfy, because prying him out was a bit of a chore. Weirder yet, they had no idea who owned the little traveler. Once they managed to get him free, they had a bit of a cat caper on their hands. Uh, we posted it on Facebook. And it didn't take long for his family to claim the little hitchhiker named Weaver who the family says is doing well, except for a bit of a cold and a mild burn on his foot. He's back home safe and sound, well-traveled, and no doubt, a few lives short. Shelley Steves, Global News, Moncton. <laughs> he didn't get his flu shot, that's why. <laughs> I've never heard of a cat getting a cold, but I no. guess they do. guess it can happen. Uh, speaking of cold, you know what we're talking about over the next uh, day or so? That's Look at that. Mm -hmm. So extreme cold continues for the least the next 24 hours for interior regions. We'll start to see a transition tomorrow. You can see tomorrow's temperature one degree and then a little warmer into Thursday, Friday. But the key here is we are expecting significant snow. Metro Vancouver anywhere from 5 to 15 in total tonight and through the day tomorrow. Be careful out there. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night.